Hello, and welcome back to Cannaboom, the podcast. You know, people have been growing cannabis for thousands of years, but for the last century, much of what we knew about growing cannabis was underground folklore, more or less, whispered about and never written down. Today's guest is Travis Merchant. He works for Artemis, a company that provides a software platform to help cannabis cultivators around the world work smarter. We discuss a lot in this episode from how you can protect yourself from substandard cannabis and CBD products to how legacy growers are making the pivot from underground smugglers to legit out-in-the-open businesses. We touched on a lot of aspects of cannabis cultivation and went deep on a few. Travis really knows the business, so stay tuned and get ready to learn a lot more about the business of growing weed. This podcast, my website, cannaboomwithak.com, and my weekly newsletter, Five Boom Friday, are all focused on how cannabis and CBD can help you achieve better wellness and how to find CBD that's trusted and reliable. Subscribe at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or your favorite podcast player. And if you enjoy the show, please do leave a review and help us expand our reach. Thanks again to our producer in Danny, Milwaukee. Here now is Travis Merchant. Cannabis is booming, and Cannaboom is on it. Welcome to the Cannaboom Podcast, where we interview experts on the changing story of humans, health, and hemp. From San Diego, here's your host, Tom Stacy. Hey, it's Tom. We're back with the Cannaboom Podcast. Today we have Travis Merchant, Global Head of Industry for Artemis. Travis, how are you? I'm outstanding, Tom. Thanks for having me today. How are you? I'm doing good. Uh, you know, we're all hunkered down much longer than we want to be, but, you know, here we are. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Where are you today? Uh, I am actually in, uh, in Austin, Texas at the moment. Um, I split time between my uh, my home in Denver uh, and my home in Austin, and it just so happened. Most of the time, I'm actually traveling pre-COVID. Um, so I was, I think I was traveling from mid-November, basically through till March. Um, and then when COVID hit, I happened to be in Austin. Uh, and at that moment, everything kind of went in lockdown. So I've been uh, hunkered down here in Austin, Texas. Not a bad place to be. Good music, good food from what I hear. Absolutely. And lots of sunshine. And I'm, I'm definitely somebody who's solar powered. <laughs> <laughs> you are deeply involved in the business of cultivating cannabis. Tell us what you do there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so as you said earlier, um, my, my, my role is the global head of industry with Artemis. And uh, I'll give you a little bit about my background. Um, I have uh, been in the, what, what, I, what I refer to, or a lot of folks are starting to refer to as the legacy market for many, many years, um, came to the legal market uh, six, six or seven years ago and started working in the world of kind of uh, cultivation R&D, um, research and development, and really around technology. Um, and we can talk about that a little bit more in depth as we go along. But when I came to Artemis uh, back in 2018, and my role with Artemis um, is to help uh, really do several different things. One is to work with a lot of the more complex uh, kind of growing systems and things like that uh, when you talk about cultivation around cannabis and helping our growers and our partners to understand how they can utilize their data to make better, better decisions around creating a more uh, uniform kind of plant. Uh, how they can manage their people, their plants, their processes, things like that, and then ultimately to remain uh, having a level of, of compliance that is uh, really unimpeachable. So, 
Lots to unpack there. Um, first, I'm intrigued by the legacy market. Basically, when it was illegal, you were involved in sort of the underground aspects of it. Yeah, um, for for uh, for many years. <laughs> uh, I, uh, I I think I planted my first plant back in 1989. So uh, it, it's it's uh, it's been a long journey. Um, but yeah, uh, in, in in dealing with that, you know, it's I saw you had Andrew D'Angelo on a couple weeks ago, and Andrew Andrew's obviously somebody who's from that original cast, uh, you know for many, many years, but it's, it's been a, a, a long process of kind of seeing how our markets have evolved over the course, you know, for the 20 or 30 years that I've, I've kind of been in that, in the, in the industry. And it's, uh, you know, it, it's been a lot as far as where we've gone, where we're going and kind of where the future is leading to, but yeah, for certain. I don't know of any other industry that's gone so fast from illicit underground to above ground and rapidly evolving. So that must be a, a really interesting space to be in, especially when you talk about data and bringing in real science to the what had been an art of, of growing cannabis and scaling it up, right? Absolutely. And it's it's something that is very, you know, you touch, you, you really hit the nail on the head when you talk about the, the lightning speed at which our industry is kind of evolving, uh, at least in certain ways. Certain ways we're still dealing with, uh, you know, a lot of, uh, old world thinking, and it's it's been a challenge, obviously, for federal legalization. But one of the biggest challenges when you talk about the data and the science, um, and this is again one of the things that really got me excited about it when I started kind of working in this industry years ago, uh, or in in the in the legal industry years ago, was that prior to legalization in a lot of states, there was no data. People couldn't keep that information because if you had you know a documented uh, process or all this type of information around there, ultimately that would end up being, you know, could, could conceivably end up being uh, evidence against you, uh, you know, in the legacy market. So a lot of the, the concepts, a lot of the processes that have, that have come to play and the successes as far as creating kind of craft product have been passed, you know, passed verbally or, or really has been uh, kind of an oral uh, history or oral process between growers. Um, so now, and like I said, in the, in the past several years, that's starting to change. People are really diving into the science and really looking at the data and the analytics around how to grow plants or cannabis plant specifically and, and you're seeing just massive advances uh in in uh, cultivation uh both with everything from quality to process things like that so yeah it's 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 just a rocket ship as far as speed when it comes to advancements like that going from essentially kind of folklore like you said nothing mm -hmm. was written down because it was evidence you know you had outliers uh, lester grinspoon who passed away fairly mm -hmm. recently yep. jack herrera's book um Emperor is no clothes, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, some of that stuff on the cultural side, but as far as cultivation and, and the science of growing it, yeah, I mean, there's so much catching up to do, and now not just catching up, but advancing. As you know, probably we're minor cannabinoids are a thing now, right? So farmers absolutely. want to know. Yeah. So what's going on there? That's uh, that's a great question. Um, that's that's actually again a big passion of mine is understanding. You know the, the the difference between simply looking at THC, which is what some, or even CBD, which is what a lot of folks have been focused on, and realizing that I think last I checked, there's a uh, 113 or 114 discovered can, uh, cannabinoids thus far, um, and understanding what that full spectrum effect uh, really can be when you have all these different commingled uh, cannabinoids. And, and even, you know, just as important as what we're discovering and, and starting to see is the terpenes that are involved. And the terpenes are those uh, wonderful components that create flavor and aroma, um, but have tremendous, uh, you know, therapeutic effects. 
Um, and so, yeah, I mean, we, we really are, I, I kind of relate it to the concept of the Big Bang. We're just in the first few seconds of the Big Bang, proverbially speaking, when it comes to, uh, you know, our knowledge of the plant and our knowledge of those things. And as we're, as we're doing additional research and discovering the power of some of these different cannabinoids um, and the interactions that they have, uh, it, is, it is so exciting. I mean, there's been tremendous research in Israel for, for a long time um, and in other places throughout the world and in the U.S., you know, it's really starting to, uh, starting to open up. So it, it's pretty exciting. And there's lots of aspects from seed to shelf along the way. Where do you get involved uh, in cultivation? Obviously, we're, we're talking about the basic elements of soil and water and seed and stuff. What's your piece of the picture there? Great question. Uh, so we look at, uh, as far as with Artemis, uh, the, the concept that we look at is that there are risks in growing plants in, in any type of agriculture. Okay. So, I mean, we've seen, uh, you know, you, you, if anybody's ever grown a plant at home, a uh, plant at home, you know, any type of plant, you know, you put, you put a seed in, you hope it lives, you, you grow a plant and you kind of go from there. Um, and, you know, when you, when you talk about something that's a consumable product like cannabis, um, there, there's a whole aspect of, it is a lot more complicated in a, in a regulated market than just simply putting a seed in or putting a clone into a pot and growing a plant. So you, there's a lot of risk when you talk about it from a from a business standpoint. You know, your plants can uh, can get sick. You know, you can have, uh, as an example, pathogens or or a disease that could kill you know kill your plants. You could have uh, human error that uh, you know conceivably a misapplied chemical at the wrong time could cause issues with your plants. There's so many different moving parts that come to play when you're talking about creating something uh, that is that is uh, you know on a, on a scale that's for consumers. So we Artemis really focused on four major what I call risk buckets. And that's, you know, when it, in a grow, it's, it's around the people, you know, human error can happen around processes. So making sure that your processes are consistent and uniform, um, obviously optimizing plants, uh, making sure that your plants are healthy. And then the last component where all that ties into is really that compliance, that traceability that goes through from the moment or even before you start uh, growing a plant to the to after it's been packaged or after it's been harvested, dried, cured, and packaged, and it's something where we've we've created the tools that help the growers to be optimized and really succeed in what they're doing, so that they don't you know they can be proactive versus reactive to problems. But ultimately, the goal is at the end to create a safe and uh, a safe, uh, effective, consistent product for whatever the end consumer would be. So I imagine you guys have outlines of best practices. I mean, this is how you do this. This is how you do that. If you're talking about people and, and processes around the plant itself, and then of course the compliance piece is huge because in the end, consumers need to have confidence in the product they're purchasing. And again, the vast distance we've come from the legacy market where you had a dealer who would provide whatever he had, and now you have people walking into dispensaries with a multitude of choices. It's an interesting place for you to be in the middle of all that. Absolutely. And yeah, I mean, we, we actually work, we, we, our system is, is, uh, is a software just so so that everybody's aware um and what we do uh is again people can put in we, we have uh, all sorts of different partners that are cultivation uh consultants and, and manufacturing consultants and things like that that we work with um but also a lot of the growers they they have their sops which are standard operating procedures and they're able to take that information and put it into a, into our software system and what happens is is like when they start a batch of plants every single task that goes along with that that group of plants for you know 
know, 100 days, 120 days, 180 days, depending on what they're growing. Every single day, there's different tasks that need to go along. So we automate that and make sure that the right people on the team are assigned the tasks, that they know what to do so that they have every day that that kind of, kind of comes running through. And where it really comes into play and where it really is important is when you talk about those processes, is that you're able to look at what your processes are doing ultimately at the end to say, this is what, as an example, like this is what the yield was. Uh, why was the yield of this batch 3% more than the previous batch? And you can look through and see all of the activities related to that batch in your process and say, oh, this is a way we can optimize, or this is something we can do that actually gets a, a more consistent flower across uh, across a canopy. Uh, so it, it's got, yeah, like you said, it, there's so much capability with what data can do for a grower. And it's exciting to see the growers starting to kind of realize this and realize the power of their data um, and the power of analyzing their processes to really make sure, again, it's such a, as, as the market becomes more and more competitive, it really becomes key and focused on uh, optimizing, mining those pennies and the pints and quarts or pennies and quarters um, and making sure that you're doing everything in such a way that it allows you to basically guarantee your growing future and be successful. What gets measured gets managed, right? So, exactly. I mean, there are artisan farmers. People have been cultivating this crop for thousands of years. Thousands so, of years, yeah. Yeah, again, there's a ton of folklore and common sense that there are farmers with green thumbs. I know some of them who are just fantastic agriculturists. But if you are able to manage all that, and is there a dashboard that tells them, okay, yeah. my, my water is good, my, my fertilizer is good, the yeah. light is good, all yeah. that kind of stuff. Yeah, that's a great question. So yeah, you've got capability to look at data in a lot of different ways. So I could look at uh, information around, like you said, environmental uh, environmental factors. So I can have information around what are my temperatures looking like in in a specific room, or I can see, uh, you know, what what my tank readings around, you know, pH of my water, information like that. All that can be recorded in our system. Uh, but really, where it comes into into a lot of excitement is during the process of uh, plants growing. You know, you uh, even a small grower uh, could have, you know, you you might have five or ten different cultivars or different strains that you're running. Well, each one of those typically has different processes that are involved with it. And, it. and when you start having multiple batches going and multiple tasks going on every day and all these kind of things, things can fall through the cracks. So making sure, again, that you're taking those readings and having the ability to do that. So you have the ability with our system to be able to do that on, you know, on a laptop or desktop. Uh, we also have a mobile app that people are able to actually walk through their facility and unlike previous lives where you had to write something on a clipboard and do your things and then run somewhere else and hand it to somebody and have them look at it and try and discern handwriting or things, this actually allows you to take data readings or information or accomplish tasks and check off information right in real time. So all of a sudden now, when you think about your employees, instead of having them have to do just running across a facility multiple times uh, an hour trying to put in information, you're saving a huge amount on labor hours. You're saving a huge amount on uh, the team feeling like information is is easy to, to collect and to gather. But when you talk about data integrity, uh, that's a real important thing when it comes to information is that one bad piece of data uh, can throw off all your calculations <laughs> and being able to act collect that at the, at the real time with uh, something that isn't again a scribble or a hand mark or something where water gets poured on a piece of paper uh it's it's just it's priceless it's absolutely priceless for growers i can imagine i mean just the ability to document all of that stuff and then know that your logistics are in line and then taking it to the next level i'm sure that as we've talked about the lightning speed at which everything is happening there's discoveries being made about how best to do things and absolutely Tell me about, you know, the Farm Bill of 2018 is kind of cited as a, a pivotal moment where 
the wraps came off and we were able to start growing that. Um, you know, we're still waiting for federal legalization of cannabis, but state by state, it's happening. Does that sort of patchwork stuff affect you guys? I mean, the compliance picture must be a nightmare when you look at all the different states. It, yeah, that can be a real challenge for growers. And even on the federal level with a lot of the, uh, you know, the standards, the regulations are, are in place, but they're they're changing. You know, it, it's a flux. They're, the government's figuring it out. The industry's figuring it out. Um, and, you know, the Farm Bill of 2018, like you said, really did open up a tremendous amount of opportunity in our country. Um, and, you know, both for, uh, you know, growing hemp uh, for, for medicinal purposes, but also growing hemp for things like fiber and looking at different things like that. Um, and when it can, when it comes to us, what, what really became tremendously valuable for like our hemp, our, our hemp growers that utilize us is that uh, there, there are large, you know, there are a lot of farmers that, that transition to hemp. Um, and they obviously have some some agricultural experience and things like that. But there's also a lot of people that are brand new to the market that have wanted to get in or felt a passion for it. And when you start growing, uh, you know, a, a product that is regulated, uh, you know, by the by the FDA or the USDA, there are certain things like, as an example, uh, GAP, which is good agricultural practices, or things like I'll throw some other uh, alphabet soup at you, things uh, something called HASA. Uh, or FISMA. Uh, these are government regulations that have to do with how products are grown. And there are specific requirements and specific regulations around things like what type of apple or chemical applications you can apply to a crop. Uh, things like, as many of your listeners probably know, uh, limits on THC um, or, or specifically, you know, trying to, uh, you know, manage, like you said, traceability to make certain that if a product is uh, going from field to uh, somebody's family, that the traceability is there to really understand, is this a safe product? Are, there, are the ingredients coming to play? And one of the biggest things that, that the uh, um, the Farm Bill had, had allowed uh, in legitimizing and legalizing uh, hemp across the industry is that it allowed the manufacturing of the capabilities to start going towards something that is called GMP. And GMP is something that is referred to or the, it stands for good manufacturing practices. Um, up until six or eight months ago, uh, hemp processors were not able to be uh, certified as a GMP uh, entity. Well, um, one, actually, one of our partners, Olay Consulting, um, they, Kim Stuck, who's the founder, she and her team worked very heavily with uh, a lot of the certifying bodies, things like NSF and ANSI and stuff. Um, and now, oh, in the last six months, now you're seeing facilities that are, are growing or vertically integrated facilities that are actually getting certified as a GMP facility. So that is a, a tremendous accomplishment when you talk about safety and efficacy uh, set up by the FDA. And what growers are starting to realize is that these processing facilities that are making oil or making products, uh, if they are buying raw materials from a grower, the level of traceability has amplified. And now you're looking at needing to be able to deliver a much stronger point-by-point uh, -point kind of touch around how those plants were grown uh, you know, and, and ultimately harvested so that once something goes into a facility that's processing it into an oil or into a consumable, that they have uh, they have the the standards and the certifications taking that that product into their into their facility their GMP facility to process. So it's it's been a fantastic uh, growth in the last year year and a half around upping the standards in the CBD industry. Uh, but again, because CBD is still uh, 
still the, the FDA still has not worked out, you know, uh, a lot of the a lot of the specifics around, uh, you know, consumable oils and consumable products. There's still some challenge there. So the most important thing that a grower can do or a cultivator can do is get themselves set up in a place and get themselves in a in a in a position where their compliance is. I use the term unimpeachable, um, where they're not just doing the bare minimum of what the current market is asking, but actually looking at other established uh, verticals that the FDA manages like food um, or supplements or things like that and actually starting to achieve and reach for those levels of compliance that are most likely going to come rolling down the hill. Uh, I have a, a, a colleague that uses the term this, picturing a large gorilla walking down the hallway towards you. This compliance gorilla that's coming, everybody needs to be in place and be in, in, a, in a, a proactive position where they're able to make sure that they handle and they're able to process these changes that are going to happen with USDA and FDA as they move along. I was working for a while in the banking industry and they feel like they're overregulated and cannabis and hemp there's been no regulation and people are kind of impatient with the FDA, like when are they going to get it together? But as we see every day, our government is broken in so many ways. I don't know if that is the issue or if there's just so much um, machinery that has to be turned on for an effective regulatory response to begin to take effect. But tell me what it looks like when you talk about unimpeachable compliance is the seed that goes in the ground, is there a barcode attached to that or something that is documented? How does somebody know that the particular cultivar they want to grow, that that's the right seed and sapling and all the way through to the shelf? Great question. Uh, we might go around it in a few different areas. <laughs> uh, one, of the, one of the things when you talk about uh, being able to trace a seed is uh, there, the, it, seeds are typically uh, registered um, and you're going to have a seed lot, a seed lot number. And that basically is an identifier that says this seed came from this, uh, you know, this, this general traceability. So it could be from um, a specific piece of genetics and that, that would be a seed lot number and also typically a COA, COA or CMA, uh, which is a certificate of authenticity or certificate of analysis. Um, that is the first uh, kind of component that a grower is going to start to examine. Um, one of the, the biggest things, and this has happened in the hemp industry uh, prolifically, um, is that people, uh, you know, uns unscrupulous seed sellers um, will, you know, promise a different type of seed or promise a certain standard of quality of a seed. And there have been lots of different farmers that have bought that, trusted uh, what they've been told, bought seed and, you know, a month into growing, realized that, um, you know, they, they've bought uh, something that wasn't what they expected. Um, so it's it's very important as a grower to not only uh, you know look at research and, and read those COA, COAs and read the you know understand the seedlot numbers, but also do research around who you're working with. Um, you know, uh, ask for references. Talk. You know. Do some validation. It's very easy to do on the internet. Very easy to do in general in the industry. But ask around about the people that you're you're considering buying seed from, um, and get that information. And then, obviously, for the sake of traceability, absolutely make sure you have the backup paperwork around what those genetics are. Make certain that you have you know your your uh, your your seed lot numbers documented when it's, when you start growing. Uh, uh, growing a batch and really focusing on that. And like you said, it starts out, it starts out with ma making sure that you have 
all of your uh, all of your ducks in a row to start with before plants are even getting in the ground. And, and yeah, like you said, focusing on understanding what your genetics are, what are the quality of my genetics. That's a, that's a tremendously important aspect when you start before a seed ever even touches the ground is to understand what you're working with. And also to realize when you're trying to source out and decide what genetics you want to think for yourself, what is your end goal? Are you growing uh, a product, as an example, that you really want to have beautiful, smokable flower? Uh, that's something that's very important. You need to look back at your cultivar or your or your, uh, your strain that you're going to be working with. If you're looking for something that is going to be used for processing biomass, you may be looking at a different type of genetic to make sure that you have tremendous amount of uh, you know a biomass being grown versus a focus necessarily on on the flower itself. Uh, or ultimately, again, looking at things like uh, if you're growing for fiber, knowing that you're growing something that uh, you know there there are fiber strains now that are being developed. Um, I've been working on a project. Uh, that's uh, very exciting, um, but they're actually they've developed a strain that has uh, they, they basically turned off the gene that can create THC. So it, being able to do that with a fiber plant would would ensure that farmers that would utilize something like that would never have the risk of having having a field go hot and the large amounts of fiber that would be needed in order to do things like hempcrete or create clothing or textiles. That that's a massive uh, a massive win for the industry seeing things like that that are happening. So, um, yeah, back to, you know, down, down to the point, looking at those genetics and understanding how you kind of find that, how you process that, how you look at doing uh, what's called a pheno hunt. Uh, you know, those of those all go back to really understanding what those trace uh, documentation and who you're working with is. So obviously the farmer on the front end needs to have a strategy in terms of what niche am I working with here? Am I creating some fiber or something for hempcrete or do I want a you know, a high CBG strain or, or whatever. Exactly. Um, who are your, uh, are your clients? Are they family farmers? Are they corporate? Are they all the way in, in between? That's, that's a great question too. Um, we, we, we work with all, um, you know, we started out, our, our company started a little over five years ago, actually. And, uh, we're, we're, it, it, it's 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 kind of funny when you talk about in the tech industry, but we're we're one of the you know founders of the concept of what is what is now referred to as a cultivation management platform. Um, and we started out working initially five years ago with small growers uh, and worked very heavily to make sure that we were able to support them and be able to do that. And currently now we work with both uh, both of the small uh, or craft farmer, even micro growers uh, into, you know, the enterprise level growers that are growing for large production. Um, and they're, there's, they're completely different needs within the markets. And I think that uh, there's, there's space definitely, I think we're seeing it both in the cannabis and the hemp worlds. There's space for both to exist. They are, they're creating really different processes and different products at the end. Uh, but uh, yeah, we, we work across the board. So along that whole supply chain, maybe the last, I don't know if you would call it a commodity, but at the end of it, the consumer needs to have confidence. And, you know, we remember the UL sticker on a lamp so you could know that it's not going to blow up when you turn it on. <laughs> you know, we remember the good housekeeping seal. So uh, what should consumers be looking for when they're shopping for hemp or cannabis products? That's a great, that's a wonderful question. I think it's one of the most important questions. Uh, one of the first things that people should do, at least in my opinion, is self-educate um, and understand what, you know, first off, learning about cannabinoids, because one of the things that I think people need to do is be able to, when they go onto a website or they go into a dispensary, is Re reading a label or understanding, being able to look at that C of A of the final product and understanding what they're looking at. 
So you you can have some some companies will uh, will create a document that shows all of the potency numbers. So you to be able to see how much THC or CBD or CBDA, uh, CBG things like that are in there. Uh, other companies go to the next level where they show that information and they also will do heavy metal residual tests to make sure that there aren't things like lead or arsenic. Uh, other other uh, companies additionally you can actually uh, they can do testing around solvents, so making sure that there's not things like ethanol uh, or anything like that that are unhealthy. Uh, but the the really the the most important thing I think again I think that a consumer needs to do is first off self educate and understand what they're reading when it comes to those things. Uh, the next thing too is much like the farmer that's looking at uh, seeds is the consumer needs to do some research around uh, who, who are they considering buying product from um, and you know there there are there are uh, wonderful companies out there that are doing great things and we've seen lots and lots of issues uh, examples of FDA doing investigation or, or uh, false advertising or false claims or things like that, you know, as uh, a lot of the a lot of the industry refers to it as gas station CBD, um, you know, it, it, it's, it's something where, again, the consumer really needs to focus and get educated first. And then when they understand what, what are the cannabinoids that they're looking at, then it becomes something where they start to realize how do these cannabinoids affect me personally? Because they're different. Everybody can have a different different uh, experience from um, you know a specific uh, a specific cannabinoid or a specific terpene. So when they experience that, then they can hone in and start to realize that maybe I you know I personally, as an example, I uh, really enjoy products that have strong limonene, which is a terpene, um, or myrcene. Uh, but I stay away from things that have alpha pinene or beta pinene in because while for most people that gives them a real big uplift, for me. Pinene, as an example, gives me a good amount of anxiety. So I'm able now, you know, from from years of being experienced, I can actually smell, uh, you know, a, a, a bud or something like that. And if I smell a strong pine scent for myself, I know that's probably just not the right uh, the right product for me. I'll look for something that smells a little bit more lemony or something like that. Uh, so yeah, it really comes down. There's so many resources out there, and I think it's very important that people take that time as a consumer to educate yourself while the FDA and while the USDA is getting themselves in position to start setting those standards. I think it's really important that the industry do that for themselves and the, and the consumers do that for themselves right now. You know, gas station CBD, I keep telling my readers, I don't know how many times I've said just don't don't do it you know like a sushi. lot of people <laughs> you don't buy your sushi at a gas station don't buy your cbd in a gas station <laughs> right absolutely you you'd think it would be common sense but i don't you know people are out on the road and they see it on a, on a rack and they go okay i'll try that stuff but um we all look for shortcuts on things and i know that's another theme in a lot of my shows is this is a test and learn thing we have different genetics you know some of us are biphasic uh it may have one effect for you and another for for me there are many different cultivars there's different brands even within the same plant within the same bud bud, you're gonna maybe have a different reaction but in general what i've tried to look for uh, there are industry groups now kind of self-policing the industry and you can become certified by uh, a group like the u.s hemp authority I don't know that they're the end all be all, but I'm telling my readers to look for that seal because it does mean that you've done good manufacturing practices, that there is some documentation that you're trying to jump through the quality control hoops. Yeah, I think, I think, you know, some of those private organization certifications are, are good to have. And like you said, it shows that the companies are, 
are making efforts. Um, and again, I, I still, but even even in those situations where it's it's self-governed private private organizations, there are still products that have slipped through, um, you know, and hit the market. And that's again where it's it's as always, it's it's just it, it for the time being, it does lie on the consumer to really make sure, like you said, you you're doing the best that you can. You're finding the the products that are working towards those standards, uh, you know, U.S. Hemp Authority or otherwise. And those folks that are really doing that, another. Another key thing is that people, what they found is that people will print uh, claims on labels saying that they are GM, they're GMP certified, or they'll use uh, you know false advertising on on, on uh, ads and things, and that again is where the consumer has to go. Okay, I appreciate that they've that they say this on their website. Going that next step and saying, checking with the U.S. Hemp Authority, are these folks actually uh, certified, or checking with NSF and making sure is this really a GMP facility? Because uh, again, so people will use fancy terms like difference between GMP certified or GMP compliant. And you can have a, lots of times people will say, yeah, we're GMP compliant. Well, that really doesn't mean anything. Uh, that, that means that you're trying to hit, you know, the standards and that kind of thing, but there really is no check and balance. When you talk about GMP certified for a facility, that is an organization that has actually gone through a full certification with the government. They've been inspected, they've been run through, they had to show all of their SOPs, uh, how they operate, and they have to keep meticulous records of data. And so that's again where a consumer really needs to understand those little language things like as an example GMP certified or GMP compliant they're two different they're 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 two different worlds when it comes to that so yeah i i appreciate tom that you and the cannabum uh purpose is really to help educate the consumers around understanding those things i think that's that's such a such an important thing and i, I just want to take a moment and give appreciation to you oh thanks i appreciate that but that's a great point i myself would be fooled if I looked at a label and it said, oh, GMP compliant. Okay, that, that sounds like they made an effort, but all, all they're doing is using the GMP terminology to exactly. kind of pull the wool over your eyes. Someday we'll get to the point where it's like if you go into Ralph's and you buy a six pack, you have confidence that it's not going to make you go blind or something. Exactly. You know? Right. Yeah. That's the, the alcohol is a great example. Yeah. Of, of standardizing and setting those regulations for an industry that makes sure you have a safe product at the end. hundred percent. Do you have a sense for the timetable of that? Does the FBA, FDA move at uh, glacial speed or do you think this heats up at some point? I think that, I mean, there's tremendous pressure uh, on the FDA to get, uh, this component of the market regulated and to get this component of the market where the standards are, are established. Um, you know, I, I, I definitely do not think anything's going to happen prior to our election. Uh, I think that, that the election is going to have a lot of uh, impact on a billion different aspects of our society. Um, in addition to obviously the, the process for what that is, I would love to see the FDA, you know, as as many would, uh, make those decisions and make those those uh, uh, regulations um, in in twenty twenty one. I would love to see it, uh, you know, but I I, I think it's going to come sooner than later. I don't think it's going to be something where we wait ten years by any means. Uh, but it's it's so hard to tell. Is that going to happen in the next year? Uh, I, I would love to see it, but I just I don't have the lens into that. I wish I had my I wish my crystal ball was working better than that. Unfortunately, there are still political aspects to this. I mean, the stigma has really receded, but it hasn't totally disappeared. I mean, we had an attorney general who believed that only bad people smoke cannabis exactly. um, no. not very long ago. And there's, there's still a lot of people who think that way. Progress is being made and, and we're getting there. So that's hopeful. 
It is. And, and like, I mean, even if we go, if we jump back to the Farm Bill of 2018, that still had to be, ra- you know, in, in each state, it still gave the ability for the states themselves to decide and, and if they wanted to align with that or not allow hemp to be grown. And we're talking about hemp. Uh, you know, where South Dakota literally would not allow uh, cultivation. We had we had major challenges in Texas during legislation, uh, legislative session uh, in 2019 to make sure that we aligned with the 20 with the Farm Bill of 2018, where they almost were not able to to legalize hemp in the state of Texas, and that was based off of one person that was the you know the the lieutenant governor um, had had really put his foot down that he just did not want that uh, that plant or this this cannabis plant or concept in in the state of texas and that there was 70 or 80 percent support on both sides of the fence in, in the in legislature but this one gentleman uh really tried to stop that and it took a, the entire uh, community of texas to really lobby and and force that through the legislation uh to to again support something that the federal government has legalized so yeah it's it, it is our, our country operates in a, in a real wacky way when it comes to uh, navigating the cannabis, uh, you know, both high THC and the and the uh, low, the high CBD components as far as uh, hemp and, and the high THC marijuana. Yeah. State by state, I think we're 33 or 34 states now where it's medicinally legal. But California made mistakes. There, a lot of people here, companies spent tons of money on childproof packaging, and then all of a sudden it was like, well, we don't need that. I don't know if I have that absolutely accurate, but th- there's been a lot of um, upside down kind of stuff where the little guy kind of got behind the eight ball in a lot of ways. And the legacy market is still thriving because of the tax structure. Yeah. So, you know, other states can look at that and learn. Certainly Canada was ahead of us, but they had some really bizarre rules around edibles where you had to package each one separately, I think. Um, they have, yeah, they have some definite, and, they, and they've shown, uh, you know, in the last year, there, there's there's been a lot of... Uh, just industry change in Canada. You're you're spot on. Yeah, it's it's been a it's been a real challenge up there too. Do you guys do business up there too? Yeah, we actually work globally, so we work in in many different countries. Um, and yeah, seeing seeing the Canadian market evolve, you know, in lots of different ways. Uh, you know, from first legalization, if we just talk about cultivation, everybody built indoor facilities, and then uh, in doing that, you know, there's a little bit more expense to creating something like that. That people started looking at, well, is this capable to do this in greenhouse? And now you're actually seeing outdoor, fully outdoor grows of cannabis happening in Canada. And you know, never, you know, years ago, nobody would have thought that that cannabis Canada would be the place where there'd be, you know, the optimal weather for being able to grow outdoors. But they're figuring those things out. But the regulation, when you saw a lot of the large producers, uh, Canopy and uh, you know, uh, Afria and different companies, that that got big for the sake of being big versus being strategic about growing a high quality product that the market wanted. Um, and this is something that you touched on where you, where black market is thriving is that there have been challenges in Canada and the U S in, in many different countries that have legalized where the, the legacy grower, uh, the person, these people that are the artisans that have that understand and have spent decades growing these plants have not been able to enter the market um, due to any number of things from obstacles, from, uh, you know, Cost of, cost of entry to uh, potentially having you know uh, criminal records and things like that, but it has really blocked out a lot of the 
uh, or had previously really blocked out a lot of the the expertise uh, of this industry. And now in the last year, I think, uh, you know, California is a great example, but you're, you're seeing that a lot of the larger producers that the, that the consumer reject has rejected a lot of the product that's been put on the market. And they said, this is not as good as what I want. And now you're seeing these larger producers realizing that they need to go back to scaling back down a little bit and, and getting good at what they do and then focusing on getting big. And I think that's where right now I started seeing a lot of excitement, you know, in, in uh, last fall around the craft growers that were starting to get a lot of rec uh, recognition and people really starting to acknowledge uh, the, the, the beauty of what their products are. It's, 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 it's like, you know, if you look at the wine industry, there's, there's three buck Chuck and then there's wonderful bottles of wine. And for some people, three buck Chuck's fine. Uh, but for the people that are, that are out there, they, they want to buy a quality bottle or, you know, quality bottle of wine. That is really something, something special and something wonderful. And that's not just about a label on a package. That is about how you, how you create that product. And the cannabis industry has had in the legacy market, these amazing craft growers and these artists that have done it and now starting to be able to take their knowledge and be able to slowly or, or uh, effectively be able to scale what they do and get larger and larger and i'm not talking about creating you know a, a gigantic corporation but being able to maybe double the size of their farm or being able to triple the size of their production so that they can meet the needs of the consumers in the market uh, <clears throat> when they're coming you know when, when a when a, a legacy grower comes into the legal side that's that's one of the biggest things that they that they they get challenged with is taking their their uh, you know, folklore practices and actually creating a process around that so that they can duplicate over and over and over again what they're doing. And, you know, our, our legacy market is one of the biggest values uh, that, the, that the cannabis and hemp industries have is, is those people that have been in there and fought and worked and helped to bring us to where we are now. And the biggest thing that I want to see, and I, you know, uh, I, 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 um, a big proponent of things like the last prisoner project and things, uh, but helping to level the playing field for those growers or those, those players in the market that want to come to the legal market and help really bring that to the next level so that we do have a successful industry and it keeps continuing to grow and grow and grow like we all, uh, like we all see it doing and what it's going to do. Just last week, 60 Minutes updated a story that they first aired last October about California and up near Humboldt and a lot of cannabis product from there is still being trucked east to the legacy market. And you mentioned, I think it's an apt metaphor, very apt to kind of compare this to the wine market where there's varietals and, you know, there's some strategy on the front end by the farmer, by the provider to say, I'm going to bring this product to this market. Do you guys work with legacy operations that want to go legit? Yeah, actually, uh, there are, uh, there, there, we, I talk with quite a few legacy growers that are in process of doing that. And they're kind of, you know, uh, they're, they're in application or they're working towards getting that and they're looking at how do I make sure that my facility or that my farm is up to, uh, you know, part of the thing is making sure that they have all the ducks in place for when licensing comes through for them. Um, so that's a lot of what, uh, what they do. Most of the legacy growers, again, are still in that position where they're not. Um, you know, it, it, there's not a lot of documentation on their end. They're, 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 they're operating outside of the system. Um, and in that case, uh, you know, that, that's something where 
they, you know, until they get into that legalized area, um, it's a challenge for them because again, they're not necessarily thinking maybe in terms of, uh, you know, uh, business science or data science or things like that. So helping, helping those folks once they kind of make that decision to come in is, is something that uh, I, I have a lot of conversations around. It's a big flip to go from, okay, I, I, this is all on the down low and I'm going to grow this so, so nobody can see it. And then I'm going to load it onto a truck and have it smuggled back to, to right. somebody who's going to pay me what I want for it. And I don't want anybody to know. So there's no records. And then going to a mindset that says, okay, we, we need to keep track of everything from seed to shelf and I'm growing it for this purpose. So that's a huge flip to make. And you just you just said a term there that I think is really important for people to think about. And I'll just say this out for for growers or anybody that's creating a product is really understanding what is your purpose. Who who are you who are you in business to delight? And, and you know, or why are you in business, and who are who are you trying to delight? And that's again where you talk about those craft growers or or the production growers, all the different things. That's been one of our, our key factors in the industry is that a lot of people just think cannabis is cannabis, and it's this issue of, of the black market or the legacy market or black market versus the the legal market, and it isn't. These are different uh, consumer. Uh, uh, categories really because i mean you have people like i said that that are just looking for you know a certain type of product and then that that can be wonderful or if somebody's looking for a specific strain or something like that that maybe has been living in the legacy market that you know might come to the to the uh to the legal market those are all different aspects and like i said when a grower wants to go in either uh, to the legal market or a grower that's already in the legal market instead of just trying to grow you know for the sake of growing is is hone in on that idea of who am i in uh in business to delight as far as my end consumer and then guiding your business towards that purpose i think that's that's a really important strategic question to ask yourself when you're in that position of of either starting your grow running a grow or or trying to grow you know scale out your grow well and that's part of the evolution of this too i mean the people in the legacy market may have had a passion for the plant and maybe they were very clear about, you know, I, I want to develop a high THC product that people are going to love. But when you talk about a market, you have to think about what's your brand, who's my customer. And like you said, how am I going to delight them? Farmers aren't probably used to thinking about their brand. Mm -hmm, <laughs> you know, right. They get their hands dirty and they, they grow it, but that's part of the evolution they're looking at, I think. It, it is. And it's, you know, one of the one of the big differentiators that, that again, we're seeing and this. This actually ties back to something that, that Artemis has been really successful at helping our growers with is that when a grower, you know, they, they I, I, I have not yet met a grower that said, like you just touched on it. They have a passion for the plant, but typically it's not a passion for the process. It's not about nobody gets into it because they want to track data on an Excel sheet. <laughs> That's never <laughs> I, I can't wait to grow plants because I'm going to do Excel documents. <laughs> But but what they do what 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 one of the things that we really helped with is being able to help them articulate the differentiation of the quality of their product when they go to a buyer. So you know everybody we've used the term craft quite a bit. Everybody in there and their mother in the in the world says yeah I grow craft product. Um, but actually being able to go into a wholesale buyer you know at a dispensary level or something like that and saying okay here's my product. Uh, it's a craft product and it costs uh, X amount of dollars. Uh, you know, a buyer typically in the past has gone, well, I appreciate you say this, but this other person is saying uh, they got just as craft a product and they'll do it for half the price. 
Well, now, because like, again, utilizing a tool like Artemis is actually you've documented out every single touch to your plant. You you know that in order to grow this product, it, yeah, we have 123 different points, uh, touch points of excellence that we have developed that crew this craft product. And being able to go to a buyer, and when we talk about that unimpeachable traceability and that unimpeachable component of, of uh, how, how do I make sure that my product is differentiated in the market and that it really is reviewed as or looked at as a craft product? That's how you do it. And now our growers are able to go in and say, I appreciate that, uh, you know, uh, Johnny, John, Johnny Jones down the street is saying that he's got the same quality product as I do. But here's my product. Here is how confident we are and the fact that we know that, that we've done all of these different things to make sure we, we, we are from the moment that this uh, plant was conceived until the moment that it was harvested and packaged, we know every single thing that's happened with it. That's a huge piece of safety for, for a wholesale buyer. Uh, when you talk about the bud tenders that are getting into the ability to, once they're selling to a consumer and they're saying, you know, they're looking at the shelf and saying, a consumer says, well, why is that one $20 more than this one? Well, now all of a sudden you've got the ability to say, well, it's a great question, Mr. Consumer, Mrs. Consumer. This product was actually grown uh, utilizing some, you know, uh, as, as an example, this is Artemis grown. So it has full traceability all the way back. The growers have, have taken uh, intense uh, purpose and passion for making sure that their product is traceable, that it's grown safely. Uh, and that is why what you're paying for and what you're seeing here is a higher quality product with a lot uh, more, more uh, you know, focus around the safety and the efficacy of the product and so you're helping when you talk about that that's that's the, the the chain of events that occurs from a grower simply making a decision to utilize something that that validates their growing process and their product and their product all of a sudden they start seeing without having to be an expert in marketing or without having to be somebody who who is a, a you know somebody creating content they've got a powerful tool in their pocket when they go to bring their product to market there that also not only ensures that they are more profitable but also helps the wholesale buyer buyer feel confident in the product it helps the wholesale buyer educate their bud tenders at the retail level and it ultimately helps the consumer to understand why you know what why is this a higher quality product and what is the purpose why should i not maybe buy this one and why should i definitely buy this one so so it really does help to to kind of draw that entire chain and help educate kind of all aspects of, of the supply chain. Well, and again, akin to the the wine industry, you know, it's like these are these grapes are from the sun kissed slopes of Bordeaux. And, you know, <laughs> this, this cannabis uh, had an organic fertilizer on the third week, and it had this much water, and everything is documented. Exactly. Yeah. Travis, what really excites you most about the cannabis industry right now? Oh, goodness. I think there, there's a lot of things. I think being part of, uh, being part of, like you said, an industry that is, every, like, it's, it's, it's its own ecosystem, really. Every single thing that you can think of that exists in, in, uh, in, in an economy, from jan janitorial services to marketing services to transportation to creation, to, it's all happening within this thing that we call the cannabis industry. And it's one of the, this didn't happen at the advent of computers. This didn't happen at the advent of, uh, you know, necessarily the internet. This is one of the, one of the only times in, in, in modern times where we're going to see the creation of an entire industry uh, in a very short period of time, we're seeing that. And I think that is tremendously exciting from a from an economic or a business standpoint. From a personal standpoint, um, I, you know, I, I am a, an absolute advocate of, of the plant, um, have been for for decades. Um, and I think what excites me, and it literally it's giving me goosebumps as I talk about it, is seeing 
the betterment of, of, uh, of those people that need this plant uh, for medicine, for recreational purposes, things like that. It is, it is just simply seeing something uh, become undemonized, uh, that has been unjustly demonized, and really creating a change for people's health. Um, I've, I've been witness to in person, seeing people try certain types of oils or things, you know, with, with intractable tremors as an example. Uh, and I was, I was, uh, with a woman who was in her, in her seventies, she tried this and within two minutes she stopped shaking. And again, it, it brought me to tears at the moment, but she came back the next day and it was still in, uh, still, it was still effective. And she came back and said, I, this is the first time in 30 years that my neck didn't hurt because my head wasn't bobbing around she goes i've never i never in my life thought this would and she was somebody who had never even would never have considered you know a cbd product or, or a cannabis product tried it and saw amazing effects that changed her life in, the, in a matter of minutes and seeing those type of things seeing uh children you know with cdlk5 or heavy uh, uh um seizure disorders and seeing the, the quality of life change, seeing the ability for those people that have been on, on opioids uh, for pain relief, being able to transition off, seeing people be able to manage themselves from, you know, especially in this day and age with COVID and the amount of, of, of just absolute craziness and stress that's in the world, being able to see that people can, can do something to better their lives, their quality of life that's safe uh, that is, you know, natural, that is something like that, I think is just one of the most exciting, exciting possibilities that, that there possibly is just from, from my own human aspect. Yeah, I, I'm with you totally on, on that. We, I mean, we all have stories about it. Early on, I interviewed Mara Gordon, who's a great advocate, yeah. a process engineer, but she talked about, she had some pain issues. She was on, I think, 28 different pharmaceuticals, yeah. she said, and, yep. and she, she hadn't smoked since college. It had been a long time. And her friend took her out in the garage and gave her a hit on a joint and and she found relief and her first her first response was anger why why didn't anybody tell me this and exactly you know, mm-hmm. i think i think we all we all have to process that and i'm not there myself yet but the 100 years of prohibition and propaganda still just kind of pissed me off and that's part of my motivation is yeah there's so much education needed because we told so many lies you exactly know, yes officially the government line was you know this is a demon weed that will send you down the road to ruin so that hasn't been totally undone i mean we we continue to work on that but yeah the the upside as you say is so phenomenal where where you see somebody stop suffering immediately and the outlook is so much better and I don't want to pin too much hope on this, but yeah, as we come out of this pandemic, there's going to be a lot of need for medicine, for jobs, for many things that cannabis can provide. And it's exciting to be part of that. It is. And you, you bring up a really important thing that's, I'm going to side note on there, but the, the vulnerability of our supply chain in this world has really been shown. And when pharmaceuticals uh, and, and products like that, medicines are being made overseas, uh, and all of a sudden those the the availability or the access to those those medicines disappear. Uh, we've seen you know we've seen it across our our, our country in in food and medicine in in uh, materials, uh, all those kind of things. Toilet paper. <laughs> Toilet paper. There you go. Cannabis is one of the things. I mean, our the Emerald Triangle uh, is you know, in California is viewed globally as one of the most respected and powerfully knowledgeable 
uh, cannabis centers in the world as far as the, the quality of product, the, the knowledge of the growers that have been there, all of those kind of things. We've got such a powerful, powerful asset in our country when you talk about our ability to self, uh, self-create and develop and grow cannabis where we aren't dependent on other countries, where we aren't dependent on doing those kind of things. And this is something that when you talk about it, it's not something that's, that's I, I do not believe there's anything that is good for everybody other than air, air, water, you know, those are, those are things that everybody needs. But for those people that cannabis uh, it, it can be used as a medic- medication or, or as a quality of life enhancer, this is one of those industries that we can, uh, we, we, one of the areas where we can as a country uh, create ourselves and, and, and create some real safety around our ability to have supply chain insurance and making sure that products and the necessary things for our, for our citizens are available. And that, that again is a big pressure that goes on to our federal government that, that things need to change and they need to change now. And if, if COVID showed us nothing else is that uh, the vulnerabilities of us being able to take care of our citizens and the people in it uh, and maintain their quality of life uh, is pretty fragile. And then this is, this is a powerful way for us to be able to take some of that fragility away. Travis, is there anything we haven't covered that we should? You know, uh, I think we've covered a, a great amount. Um, again, I think it's just really important as people, as people go out and the, and the consumers are looking there, um, you know, it, 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 you, you touched on some things. The demonization of this product um, is, is propaganda. It's something that has had 100 years of, uh, you know, false information being put forward. And I'm so excited, again, that your listeners are, are realizing that and they're, and they're expanding their minds beyond that. And I think, again, just read as much as you can. Learn as much as you can about what this plant does, what these compounds do, and educate yourself and realize that, uh, you know, Willie, Willie Nelson said it great. The only way, uh, the only way weed's going to kill you is if a bale falls on you. <laughs> so you know, understanding the safety and the power of it, and then just realizing that, uh, that there are people you can talk to there. Are, there's a lot of knowledge out there, um, where you can, you know, as a consumer, if you're wanting to get into it or you want to try CBD, talk, speak to some people that are experts, uh, and that, that most likely again, is not the, uh, the gentleman at the counter at the gas station. Um, you're going to want to talk to, uh, you know, folks listen to the Cannaboom podcast or reach out to uh, to those entities that are that are really advocating for this and, and learn about that. Yeah, that's a great message. I feel like uh, we, we did cover a lot of ground. I mean, we, we skipped across some topics, but we went deep on some because there's so much to talk about that you are involved in. So uh, maybe we can have you back again sometime. I mean, we took a kind of a snapshot of what's happening. As we said, it's going to continue to evolve. So um, there will be lots to talk about in the future, too. I would love that, Tom. I think that would be wonderful. Thanks so much for taking the time to visit with us from Austin. Uh, Not a bad place to be and and stay safe. And hopefully we can do this again. You do the same. And I want to thank everybody for listening today. Really, uh, really appreciate the Cannaboom. You've been listening to the Cannaboom podcast with host Tom Stacy. If you like the show and want to know more, please check us out at Cannaboom with a K.com. And please leave us a review at Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. See you next week.